it is hard to imagine a place like heaven. We are so used to what we have here that these statements on the screen, it's just, it's just hard to comprehend them. It's hard for us to understand even what they mean totally. Because we're just used to living in this world. And, and, and this world so often is in conflict and that conflict comes into our life because this world's tainted by sin. And so I've been trying to do a series of sermons on heaven. If you have one of the worship handouts, and they're always on the table when you come in the door out there. So if you didn't get one this week, get one next week. But inside, it talks about this sermon series on heaven. Two weeks ago, I started the series, July the 13th. And the first sermon is, what is it like to die? And I talked about being able to have confidence that there is a heaven because we have confidence in Jesus. Now, if you do not know Jesus, then you don't have that confidence. And so, where do we learn about heaven? From the words of Jesus. And so we have to meet Jesus, the character Jesus, and learn what kind of character He is, and that he's, His character is a good character. And how do we do that? We, we've, got, we've got to read the letters or the writings of those people who walked and talked to Jesus because you and I can't get in a time machine and go back and talk with Him. We can't meet Him in person, but we can, read, we can meet Him through the Scriptures. And He taught so many wonderful things that if we learn to have confidence in Him, then we can believe the words He talked about heaven. And then last week I talked about heaven is made for us. And I talked about what heaven is like. You know, the old earth, the old heaven passes, is going to pass away. It's going to be gone. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We talked about the name Jerusalem. We talked about it being a city. We talked about all those things. And tonight I'm going to talk about, or this afternoon I'm going to talk about who will be in heaven and what will we do. And I'm not going to share any phenomenal truths with you that you probably don't already know or at least are aware of. It's just that I'm going to try to give you some Scripture backing to help validate that. And all my Scripture comes basically from the words of Jesus. When we talk about who will be in heaven and what will we do. Because I've not been to heaven. And I, could, I, I thought about when I wrote this sermon of, of looking into the five or six major world religions. Okay, and there's only five or six. There's not hundreds. Looking into those and, 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 and comparing some of those things to what Jesus said, but, but that would make this sermon too long. But I'm going to talk about that tonight. And then next week, August the 3rd, I'm going to, I've got it titled, Some Questions About Heaven Answered. And I'm going to answer three questions about heaven. I'll sort of do a recap like I've done here next week. Okay? But then I'm going to answer three questions. And one of those questions is this question. How can we be happy when we go to heaven if someone we care about does not go to heaven? You see, I'm going to answer those questions. That's a question I get asked quite regularly. Well, if I go to heaven and somebody I love doesn't go to heaven, how can I be happy in heaven? And so we're going to look and see if the Bible gives us any, any insight and understand 
we want God to spell it all out in the Scriptures, and He doesn't because He's talking to us who are, who are locked in to what we know in this world. But He does give us some insight. And then, as I said, next week I'll answer three questions. And then on August the 10th, more questions about heaven answered. I'm going to answer six questions. I'm going to give the time to the questions. And one of those questions that I'm going to answer is the question, if, if, if I've been married twice on, in this life, you know, I've been married, got divorced, and got married again, will I have two wives in heaven? You see, there, there is some people who claim to be Christians who, who do say you can have more than one wife in heaven. So we're going to look and see what Jesus has to say in regard to that. Does the Scripture give us any insight? Now, I share those two questions because I hope you come back next week and August the 10th, see? Sort of wet your appetite. But I also share those because you people are usually here, okay? I share those because you may have a family member who doesn't go to church but maybe have asked some questions about heaven. And so you can find a time this week to, to tactfully... Bring up the subject that our pastor has been talking about heaven for three weeks. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Been talking about heaven for three weeks. And this Sunday, that'd be next Sunday. This Sunday, he's going to answer some questions. And you know, there's a question that you might find interesting. He's going to say, if you go to heaven and someone you, you care about doesn't go to heaven, how can you be happy in heaven? And you might invite him to come and sit with you. And then... The next week you could invite and you can say he's going to talk about one of the questions. I don't know all the questions and I've just got nine questions. They're the questions that I get asked the most. There are many questions that people ask about heaven. But you can say for that Sunday you could say to someone this Sunday he's going to answer six questions and, and one of those questions is if you've been married if you've had two husbands on earth you've been married, got divorced and married another husband well you have two husbands in heaven. See? And that usually gets their attention and they may come and we want them to come because I want them to experience Connections team. And that's more than just the pastor. That's, that's the people in the band. You know, all these band members were here this morning and they come back in the evening. That's the person, who, the people who make the popcorn and get the drinks ready. Have the facility ready for us. Because it's in meeting the team, they start meeting some people that they, they, they can relate to. Uh, this week, I was, I was at a place and, 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 and I wore, I, I was with some people who go to, they weren't of the same church, but they go to, a, they go to very traditional churches. And, and, and I, had, I had that t-shirt on underneath and I had my shirt unbuttoned like this, see? You know, as, as we wear them sometime today, right? Well, probably if we're under 30, we may, you know, traditionally, no, you got to button every shirt or every button, see. And so today I button it. Some Sundays I don't and some Sundays I do. Uh, But I had it unbuttoned. And, And one of the people started talking about people who are down and out. And I said, well, well, tell me, how do you know people are down and out? Now, listen. The person reached over, grabbed my unbuttoned shirt, says, they wear unbuttoned shirts with T-shirts underneath it. <laughs> then I said, how else might you know if they wear shorts and, 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 and different shoes, flip-flops to church? Yeah, those are down-and-out people. Isn't that crazy? 
Matter of fact, I took my shoes off. I took my shoes off, and I said, and, 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 and they were a pair of shoes just sort of unraveled around the edges, and I said, they said, yep, down and out shoes. And they don't even know. They're saying that about me. Anyway, I, I asked them a few other things about, how do you know people are down and out? They're just traditional. Now, why do I tell you that? I'm not trying to put them down. I'm saying, you, you see, the Bible gives us some insight about heaven. But it doesn't explain as much as we'd like to know. Because, you see, we can't comprehend it. It's greater. Last week we talked about it. It's, it's the kainos. That's the Greek word for new. It's new. Totally different than what we know here. That's why this, this is going to be gone. It's a new heaven, a new earth. And so we're, we're just trying to get some idea. And, and the reason I'm talking about heaven is because I want people to be aware there's life after life. Because when I was in the university, which were, was a few decades ago, people would say, heaven is just make-believe. It's wishful thinking. It, it, it's what those people go to church, what they make up, because you see... They don't want to feel hopeless after they die. That they're just worm food. That was one of the terminologies they used. After you, you're not worm food, not if you're in a casket yet. Okay? But see, they didn't want to believe in heaven. And so, so I'm doing this series. As I said in the first sermon, somebody asked me if, if about heaven. But because I want us to be aware there is life after this life. And how do I know? Because Jesus talks about it. And remember what I said in the first sermon, if you hear, was here. Jesus said, if heaven wasn't a real place, he's walking and talking to those people. They had walked with him for three years. He said, if heaven wasn't real, I wouldn't even be bringing up the subject. And so based upon what Jesus says, we discover some things about heaven. And tonight... We're going to find out from what he says, who's going to be in heaven. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open to the last book of the Bible. Just go to the very end of the Bible. It's a book of Revelation. And Revelation basically is, is Jesus revealing to a man by the name of John about the future. And in revealing about the future, you might take that off first for a little bit until I get there. Because they're reading it, not listening and in revealing about the future, he tells us some things about heaven. And, and what's interesting now, listen. He tells us some things about heaven that other people talked about. But we're going to look at Jesus' words and see what he says. But before we do, how about if we just bow together and I want to leave some prayer. Father, I pray for your help. I pray for your... Give me stamina. I pray for you to help me to speak clearly. And Father, to help just say things in such a way that, that we might see heaven as it really is. Not as maybe someone has told us it is without any scripture backing. But we'd see heaven as it really is prepared for us. And that Father, we, we would not only see heaven as it is, but we'd realize that also you're trying to speak to us in how we ought to live here and now. For God, connection is not a church. It is only trying to prepare people to die. Help us, God, that connection would be a group of people, a church, a, a group of people 
that also are just trying to help people understand how to live here and now as you would want. Help me to communicate that as I share some of these thoughts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So Revelation 22, let's look at verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen. If you carry a Bible, I'm reading now the New Living Translation. It's just a little bit easier to understand than the King James or the New International. Okay? So verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life. Okay? Now, water of life identifies, it's just, it's just symbolic of eternal life. The angel is showing a vision to John of eternal life. Okay? And, and when Jesus was walking on the earth, he met a lady who was at a well getting water. That, that's an interesting experience that he had with that woman. Uh, a down and out, really down and out woman. Uh, and, and, and he asked her for a drink of water. And, and that sort of, she couldn't believe he was even talking to her because people like Jesus didn't talk to people like her, she thought. And she said that. And, uh, or have nothing to do with people like her. And Jesus mentioned water that's good for everlasting. And she says, how can you get that water? You don't have anything to get the water out of the well with. And Jesus is not talking about earthly water. He's talking about eternal life. And, and so here where it says, then the angel showed me a river of water of life, that's just symbolic talk for the angels revealing something about what eternity is going to be like. Heaven. And he, he describes it clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And the Lamb is Jesus. And clear as crystal is just describing it's good water. You see, we like good water. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I, like, I like westerns. And we, we have a, a DVR that we can tape. And, and, and I like to tape movies that are old westerns. And my wife grew up and her family basically didn't watch TV. And it's amazing to hear her to tell the story back when they had the tube TVs. You see? Yeah, just a few of us remember that that's in here. And, and she said her dad would always explain, well, one, the tubes went out when the summer started, but the tube always got fixed when school time came because he didn't want them staying in the house and watching TV. Okay? So she did, and, and they didn't watch a lot of TV. So she didn't see those old westerns, so she watches them now, and she likes them, okay? But in those westerns, what always amazes me, now that I'm an adult, is that you see these, these cowboys, or cowgirls, whoever's on the horse, they come up to this water hole, this mud hole, and they jump off, and the horse drinks, and they just fall face down, and they're just lapping up that dirty water. And I'm always wondering, how do they control the diarrhea? Really, even now. And I've thought that many times. And, and of course, probably now, we're told the reason they can control the diarrhea, or, well, we're not told that, but the reason that didn't bother them as much is because they were exposed to a lot of muddy water. And apparently their system got used to it that they just didn't get diarrhea out of it. And so really, I wish I would have known that was when I was younger because I think... I would have started drinking and had my kids drink one cup of muddy water every day. That way they'd never be bothered, see? Well, anyway, he describes the water clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Because that's heaven. Verse 2, 
It flowed down the center of Main Street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves are used for medicine to heal the nations. Okay? In other words, here, here's the tree of life on, on each side. And, 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 and why a tree? Because if we go back to Genesis, in, 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 in the first early chapters, we see the tree. And in regards to the tree of life, Mankind made their own choices in sin. And conflict came into their life. Okay? And they lost eternal life. And so now when we talk about eternal life, the symbolism is heaven's a place where you're not going to have that conflict anymore. Because there's the tree of life. And some people who take it literal say, yeah, we'll go up and pick the leaves and they'll heal us. You're not going to ever be sick in heaven. See? But it's just symbolic language to help us understand the environment, the experience. Matter of fact, look what he says in verse 3. And if you mark in your Bible, I would recommend you underline the first nine words in verse 3. Because so, I think every time you read chapter 22, those first nine words are what you've got to remember is trying to be described about heaven. And the first nine words in verse 3 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything. Because Genesis 3 tells us, Genesis chapter 2, man's okay. Genesis chapter 3, mankind makes the wrong choice. And there's a curse. Not only on man, because sin, he's chose to sin, but all of creation. That, that, that we're told in Romans 8, creation itself is waiting for its redemption. You see, there's no more curse in heaven. There's no more of this conflict that we know here. Not in heaven. And that's what he's trying to get across. Now he goes on in verse 3. He says, For the throne of God and the Lamb will be there. See, he repeats that. It's the place where God and Jesus are going to be. So the throne of God and the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. Verse 4, and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Now, now hear this. In other words, they're tattooed. So if you, you say, I'd never get a tattoo, and you interpret this literally, we're all going to be walking around heaven with God's name on our forehead. That's what it says, written on their forehead. See, and it's not going to be one of those temporary. It's going to be for eternity. On and on and on. I don't think we're all going to have tattoos on our forehead. Child of God, child of God. What he's trying to do is tell us the security. The security in heaven. And that's so important that we understand that security. Because, and that's just symbolic information to tell us our, once we become a follower of Jesus, our future is secure. Because you see, Satan wants you not to believe in that security. See, he wants you to believe, come on, how could God love you? You do this sin and you tell God you're sorry and you do it again. You know what? You're probably not even a Christian. Someday I ought to preach a sermon on that. Because that's what he does to Christian people. He makes us feel insecure. Gosh, I don't know if heaven's my home. I mean, I'm such a bad person. I try, but I don't succeed. Listen, God doesn't deal 
with guilt and shame, that's Satan. God deals with conviction. But see, Satan gets us feeling so bad that if I feel bad, then then I don't even want to talk about Jesus. And you know what? People who he gets feeling real bad ends up saying, I don't even want to go to church anymore. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read the Bible. I just want to give in to the hopelessness of life. I want to escape. I I want to party. See, because for a few hours, they escape that hopelessness. But the problem is they go to bed and wake up the next morning. And that hopelessness is still there. And see, God is, 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 Jesus is revealing heaven to John because if I took the time to tell you what John is experiencing, it's not good. And he's one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. And what he's going through at this time, it's not a good thing. So where's God when bad things are happening in my life? See? And the indication is, listen, God knows who you are as if you had it stamped on your forehead. And you need to remember that because I'm going to tell you, if Satan can beat a Christian down enough to, to doubt that they're really God's child, Satan wants to bring you a place where you don't want to live anymore and you just want to take your own life. I mean suicide. Matter of fact, that's one of the questions I'm going to answer. I think in that August 10th, Because people ask about that. He just wants you to to die. So you can't live in this life. And impact others. Well it goes on. Look at verse 5. And there will be no night there. No need for lamp or sun. I talked about that last week. For the Lord God will shine on them. And they will reign forever and ever. Remember that. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. And then the angel said to me. Everything you have heard and seen. Is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servant what will happen soon. Because you see, now we've got a Bible. We didn't have a Bible like this. When John existed, they didn't. You could just go out and buy a Bible for a few dollars. And so they couldn't just turn to a prophet's book in the Bible and say, I could take you to some of the prophets and they describe heaven like Jesus is revealing to John. And so that's why the angel sort of says here, then the angel said to me, everything you've heard and seen is trustworthy and true, John. And you know how you can know? If you get into looking at the prophets, you see they've talked about some of this before. Hundreds, no, thousand, two thousand years before. If you just investigate it. Well, that leads me to the first blank on your worship handout. Fill it in. The angels will be there. I told you I'm not sharing basically anything new. The angels will be there. Of course they're going to be there. Well, look look in your Bible. Go to the fifth chapter of Revelation if you have your Bible. Fifth chapter, 11th verse, or follow on the screen. Fifth chapter, 11th verse says, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels. Now, Now, let me stop. John is writing this. It's about 95 A.D., okay? So it's about 60 years after Jesus. He has this vision that Jesus is revealing to him. And then I looked, he said, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne uh, 
and of the living being and the elders, and they sang a mighty chorus, worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. John says, you know what I saw in heaven? You know who were there? Thousands and millions of angels. Matter of fact, the Bible says this. Look, from the book of Hebrews. Let's look at the next screen. Hebrews, probably written around 65, 70 A.D., 20 years before John wrote what he wrote, before Jesus gave John that vision. Look what the writer of Hebrews, this writer's trying to communicate something about heaven. Look at what it says there. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about last week. Heaven, a city? Jerusalem? Don't want to redo that sermon. But you see, here is the writer of Hebrews that is inspired by God to talk about heaven in this way. And please, somebody, whenever I was in the university, you say, well, they just copied each other's words. There was no printed book of Hebrews like that. There might be a letter sent out. They didn't have a Bible just to copy from. And look what he says. After the heavenly Jerusalem, and two, you've been brought to this place called heaven, though it's city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Two different guys trying to help people like you and I who never walked or talked with Jesus because this writer, this is 40 years after Jesus had went back to heaven, went back to be with His Father in heaven. So, so there's people who are believers in Christ who never walked or talked with Jesus and so they are just being talked to by people who walked and talked with Jesus. And he writes this and then John, 60 years after Jesus has left this earth, He's talking to people who never walked and talked to Jesus and he's explaining something about heaven because God makes us aware of heaven. And the thing that I'm pointing out here is that angels will be there. God has always had angels involved in what he was doing. When Jesus was born, there was angels talking to the shepherds in the fields. Matter of fact, there was a choir of angels. Excuse me. When Jesus experienced temptation. If we go back and look at that. And I'm not trying to impress you. I'm just trying to tell you about angels. If we went back and looked at it in the scripture. We'd see that Jesus tempted. And after temptation. Because he is faithful to God. Angels come and minister to him. When he's in the garden of Gethsemane. When he's in the garden. And he's facing a terrible, terrible challenge. The challenge is. Will you do what God wants? Or are you going to do what the devil wants? Okay? Jesus goes through a challenge. Matter of fact, Jesus is saying, God, is there any way I don't have to do this? But he has to make a choice. God, can you take this away from me? But he makes the choice God wants. He eventually says, no. What your will is, that's what I'm going to do. And see, he's talking about going to the cross. You see, the angel was there to help him. Jesus had to make a choice. And an angel was there. And I'm going to say, in your life and my life, we are constantly faced with choices. You heard Angela prayed about our broken old selves. 
and you make us new. And then we sang that song that said that. And some of you, like me, I've shared my, my first life issue is, is anger. My second life issue is worry. My third life issue is control. Because when you get angry and you worry, you try to control things. You think for the better, but you end up probably hurting people. You become pretty bossy. And often with the very people you love. And then you find yourself saying, I don't mean to be that way. And so how, how did I learn to find victory over anger or worry? Well, I'm going to tell you. Back a few decades ago, some people confronted me and said, you've got to make the choice. God, take away my anger. God, don't make me worry anymore. Help me not to worry. God, take away worry from me. And some of you pray the same thing. And it doesn't go away. Because you see, my mentors taught me, Mike, if you want God to transform you, you've got to make a choice. And your choice places you where God can change you. He can transform you. You see, some of you came here, you made a choice. And in making the choice of coming here, you're hearing things about God that He'll use to encourage you. But if you would have made the choice not to be here, you wouldn't have heard it. This morning, we were packed out. We, I, I told my wife, we probably had 10 to 12 new people here this morning. Never been here before. Or if they'd been here, they came in and I didn't meet them before. And I said this morning, you know, some of you, you, you got up and you didn't see that angel, but that angel says you ought to go to connection today. But you see, the choice was yours. And you made the choice, and already you know the Spirit of God is speaking to you. But you could have made the choice not to come. And because you came, you're giving God opportunity to give you information that will change your life. See, God, remove my worry, remove my anger, but I refuse to make the choice. That's why I come to CR. I mean, when my mentors worked with me, there was no such thing as CR. But I know CR constantly reminds me about the victory that's possible through Jesus Christ over my issues. Is there anything I, better I'd like to do? I mean, I work all day Friday at another job. And then I hurry home and we eat and we come out here. And I'm setting up for CR, my part. And I go through, I mean, why? Because I've learned from my mentors that if you want God to transform you, we want God to do all the work. We don't want to do the work. We've got to make the choice. And so when Jesus had to make a choice, am I going to give in to the temptation and not go to the cross? And it was very real. He made a choice. And his choice was what God wanted and the angel was there. When he was arrested, if we went back and looked at that, his disciples tried to defend him. Somebody, Peter pulled out a sword. I think it's Matthew who says it was Peter. I don't think the other three say who it was. And Jesus said, put that away. If I needed help, man, the angels are available. The angels are available. Angels ministered to the early Christians. An angel came to Mary and spoke to her. You're going to have 
the Messiah. You're going to have the Son of God. You're going to have the one everybody in Jerusalem's looking for. It's going to be your baby. No, it's not possible. Yeah, it is. It's going to happen. How? God's going to do it. Who told her? An angel. If we looked in the book of Acts, it's an angel that leads Philip to Samaria to work with a fella who was a eunuch who, listen, now it's out of second, first century historical records that maybe that guy was the first fella to take the gospel into Africa because of his official position of serving the queen. But who led Philip to talk to that guy? An angel. Uh, Cornelius, he doesn't believe in Christ. Cornelius, he's not a Jew. He's in his home. He, he knows there's a God, but he doesn't understand God. And what happens? God sends an angel to Cornelius' house. A non-believer. Not Jew, non-Jew at that time. And the angel says, I'll tell you what you ought to do. And Cornelius had to make a choice. Cornelius could say, this is stupid. But he didn't. He did what the angel said, which is what God wanted. And Cornelius' household experienced Christ as Lord. See, an angel was involved. When Peter was in prison, an angel freed Peter. Paul was in a boat. Paul was in a boat, we're told. And an angel comes to Paul. And he tells Paul that that boat's going to get in trouble. And this is what, what Paul ought to do. Now, Paul had to make a choice. Because, see, the boat got in trouble. And Paul's with all these people. And does Paul speak up? I mean, I guess if, if somebody in your family came running to your house and an angel said, give me, you are to give me your car, you'd say, okay. See? Somebody say they had a vision of an angel. You're saying, uh, you're sort of weird. And so Paul, I mean, you can read this. That's, that's the thing. And you know what? Whenever I went to university, people doubted the existence of Jesus, but nobody's ever doubted the existence of the Apostle Paul. Historical records affirms this guy lived. You ought to meet Paul. Meet him in the book of Acts. And then read his letters. Just unbelievable teachings. You'll make the choice whether to do that or not. And if you do it, God will transform you. See, everybody says, I want to change. I want to get better. But we won't make the choice to do what God wants. But Paul's in that situation, and that boat's in trouble, and so Paul has to speak up. And Paul's a prisoner. He's a low guy on that boat. Now those people have to make a choice. Well, we do what God wants, what, what an angel told Paul we ought to do. This is already a crazy story, but hear me. Because Paul spoke up, those people did what the angel said. Everybody's saved. Nobody dies. When that boat Goes under. Not one. I think 200 and some people, I believe. I couldn't be wrong on that figure. I, I remember a time. Uh, yesterday, I went up north for a family reunion. Don't you just love family reunions? Well, it was good. I got to see my brothers and sisters. And, and, and so, I'm up there, and, and we're talking about this city that's on the road that we're traveling. I, I have... I have, I have my grandson who's 17, my grandson who's 16, and my granddaughter who's, who's, who's 13, just turned 13 in the car. Mom and dad, and of course, Laura and I. 
And, and so I tell them the story. And I think, I think you have some tremendous stories in your life your children ought to know before you die. Don't wait till you get old. You'll forget them. Okay, I really think that's part of our legacy. And I, I, tell, I tell stories of my kids of past experiences in my life. But I remember, I, I told this. Now, understand who I'm telling it to. I don't care. My oldest daughter, she's already heard this story. My son-in-law's probably heard this story. Okay? But I'm telling it because there's a 17-year-old young man, there's a 16-year-old young man, and a 13-year-old girl. And I said, I can remember traveling down this road, and, and excuse me for a minute, traveling down this road, and, and I'm, going, I'm, I'm on the American Legion team, and we're going to play an American play game in this city. Really, it was just a small community township north of, of Decatur, because that's where I live. And so, so we're traveling. My best friend is in the shotgun seat and, and another friend in the back. And we're all ball players. We're going there. And as, as we're going down the road, now we're between cities, so we're basically out nowhere between cities. My friend, my best friend, reaches down into his ball bag and he pulls out a bottle of orange, orange stuff. And I'm thinking it's orange juice, but as he gets closer, and, and, and here we are. Man, I got my convertible top down. We're just having a good time. He pulls this out, and as I watch, man, it's orange vodka. See? I just immediately pull over to the side. Side of the road. Terry was my friend's now. I said, hey, Terry. You either get out or you throw the vodka way out. It can't stay in this car. Oh, you've got to be kidding. No, Terry. You either get out. I mean, hey, imagine, he's got to walk a distance. Or else you get rid of the vodka. You throw it away. Hey, Mike, you know what this cost? Throw it away. Or you get out. And he threw the vodka out. And I'm glad he did because he was our best first baseman and I had to throw the ball to him because I was an infielder. See? And I'd rather have Terry playing than the guy to play behind him. Also, he was a good batter. Left-handed batter. Now, why did I do that? I wish I could tell you I did that because that's what God would want me to do. It is what God would want me to do. But you know why I did that? Because my dad, who raised... Twelve living children, six boys, six girls. There's 14 of them born into the family, but a boy and a girl died. Seven boys, seven girls, but six boys, six girls. And my dad always said, when you're with some people and somebody's going to do something that you know is most likely not the right thing to do, you ought to speak up. And that's hard to do when you're with a group of people. You ought to speak up because you'll be surprised there'll be others who will agree to the right thing, but... Everybody's afraid to speak up. Well, that's what Paul was. He's on this boat. An angel tells him, something's going to happen. This boat's going to have a problem. You need to tell these people to do this. Paul had to make a choice. Would he speak up? He has no clout. And he speaks up. The man in charge of the boat had to decide. Would he follow? He had some questions. An angel. But he followed and everybody on the boat did what the angel said and everybody lived when the boat went under you see you got to make a choice but an angel was there but the bible tells us that when a person who does not follow jesus becomes a follower of jesus listen all the angels in heaven are rejoicing they're shouting Woo! 
See? Angels. See, I've been asked, don't you believe in angels? Because I don't get caught up in this, this weird supernatural. God invades the natural and does the supernatural. I believe that. I believe it so much that when I was 17, that convertible I had was run into by a truck and the state trooper told my friends because my parents weren't there. We don't know how he's alive. He should have died in this. And I've always, I, I've, whenever I talk about that, I don't want to go into that because I've got to get back to this, but I've always said, I think there was an angel there. I was protected. You see, I think angels are real. Like I said, maybe some of you, an angel said, you've got to be sure you're there tonight. You didn't see the angel in this case. It, you had no vision. See, angels are involved in our life. But I want you to understand, when it comes to eternal life, we're going to see all those angels. Can you imagine being in a place where all those angels... If, 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 if Yachty, Yachty, Yachty Air Molina walked in here, we'd get sort of excited. If he says, excuse me, Mike, remember I told you I was coming? Yeah, I wanted to surprise him, Yachty. You know, you and I are best buds. <laughs> and he came in here, you would be excited. But listen, and then behind him walks Matt Carpenter. And behind Matt walks the entire Cardinals. You'd really start getting excited. Man, did people make the wrong choice what they chose to do tonight. And then behind them came in all the Rams. Wow! And behind them, listen, came the Blues and the Blackhawks from Chicago. Yeah, I hate saying it, but then also came the Cubs. Okay? You know what you'd say? You'd tell everybody about this night. You understand? Am I making this up? Would you not? You would talk about this night. Listen, you're going to go to heaven. Wait a minute. You're, 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 you're Michael, the angel... You're the one that talked to Mary. You're the one that, that, that sang before the shepherds. Tell me, what was it like when you saw their jaws drop? See, as excited we get with the Cardinals and the Cubs, if they came in here, folks, God's trying to share with us the gloriousness, one of the gloriousness of heavens. We're going to be with all those angels. All those angels. And it's interesting because I'm talking about that tonight, but this week, you know, I told you I, I TiVo, or I DVR, I record shows, and, 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 and listen, I love vampire movies and horror flicks. Scare the britches off of you. I like them, see? My wife likes animated. <laughs> and fairy tales. Now, I know got to watch him with the kids. But just her and I. And so whenever I look through there, I'm looking for animated and fairy tales. So what I take? The tooth, par- tooth fairy. Can you believe it? The rock plays the tooth fairy. I tell her, Lord, you know who that is? That's the mummy. No, he was the king who came back, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's right, the Scorpion King. And we watch this. We watch it for about an hour. 
See, because I like, I like action and, and horror. And then another night, two or three nights later, we watched the last hour. And the reason I tell you that is because in there, when, when, when The Rock comes to understand the good stuff that the movie's about, if you look, his angel, his angel wings really developed. They got bigger, and he started using them. And that, that makes you smile. Now, why don't I just tape vampires and horror movies? Because you see, I leave her sometimes overnight, and she's alone, and that she remembers all those things she saw. And I want you to understand, I love my wife more than I love my desires and my traditions that I learned from as a child and a teenager. Listen, I got into that story because angels, they're real and they're going to be in heaven. And I want you to understand where God is, His angels will be also. Let's turn to Revelation 7. You're in chapter 5. Go to chapters. Revelation 7. Look on the screen. Let's look at verse 7. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, for every, from every nation and tribe and people and language, in other words, from all over the world, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Look what he says. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Now, these are the people who have a relationship with God because that's how they describe it. They wear white robes. And they wave palm branches. Now be careful. Some people think that's all we're going to do in heaven. Some cartoon person would, would say, when you're in heaven, you've got a white robe on, you're, you're waving palm branches for all eternity. Palm branches identified when they first saw Jesus come into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they were so, excuse me, they were so excited the Messiah's here. And the ideal is, we're going to be excited in heaven. And robes just mean you've been cleansed. Now, maybe we're going to be in robes. But I'm telling you, that's symbolic talk to help people understand how special the relationship's going to be in heaven. And it's going to be for those people who have a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And verse 10 says, And they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And I'm going to tell you, if you go back to that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, they're shouting a similar statement, just not quite the same. But salvation. Now, why do I share that? Well, look at the next blank on your message, on your worship handout. The people who have a relationship with Jesus as Lord will be there. Again, I say, duh. That's what you're telling us? Yep. When we get to heaven, angels are going to be in heaven, and the people who have a relationship with Jesus are going to be in heaven. I want you to understand that. Because Satan wants you to forget that that's true. The Bible says this. Look on the screen. Look at what Jesus said in John 5, 24. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. That's what we're talking about. Heaven, eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Look, He's talking about here on earth. You don't have to wait till you die and hope you get to heaven. Follow Jesus Christ. You know you got heaven. He says, pass from death into life. Verse 25, and I assure you, I assure you, 
that the time is coming indeed. It is here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. And you know what he's trying to get across to us? Is that the people in relationship with God, what he showed John in Revelation, he spoke when he was on earth, our relationship with him means heaven is our home. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Luke the second, I'm sorry, in, in Luke the tenth chapter, it says our names are written in heaven. That's what it says. Our names are written in heaven. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and Philippians, the first chapter, that we who know Christ as Lord, who follows Jesus as Lord, we will go to be with Him after we die. That's what the Bible says. You see, we will sit in heaven with people of God. I can, I can rejoice in that now. I'm going to go to heaven and I'm going to be able to talk to, to Adam. Tell me what it was like in the garden. I'm going to be able to talk to Noah. You can talk to Noah. Think about that. That's how glorious. You can talk to Noah. Tell me about the flood. Tell me about the building of the ark. You can talk to Moses. Tell me what it was like when the Red Sea parted. Tell me what it was like. And they're going to ask you about some of your victories. And you know what? Some of the victories in your life are just unbelievably great. But you don't think they are. Let me ask you this. What do you think it would be harder for God to do? To get you, get you to forgive somebody who did something terrible to you? Or who mistreats you? Or depart a body of water? Which do you think would be the great, the most difficult thing for God to do? Get you to forgive some terrible thing? Or do you just take a body of water and make the molecules work so they part? And you see, when you forgive, that is a great miracle of God. Because we live in a world that doesn't tend to forgive. And you know what? You'll tell your children the story of the Red Sea. But you'll never tell them the great story of you forgiving. And I could go on and give you other illustrations. Things God has done in your life and my life that are just unbelievably miraculous. Because we made the choice to do what God wanted. One day, we're going to sit in heaven with all the people of God and the angels. Now, why does He tell us that? Why does He want to get that across? Because most of the Bible is about living life here. Remember, if you heard my prayer, I said, and God, help us understand that connection is not all about getting ready to die. That's, that's all some churches do. They get people ready to die. But it's about learning to live here and now like Jesus. But here's why I think God tells us these things. To give us a glimpse. Because He wants us to understand there's going to probably... No, there will come a day for every one of us when we will experience the death of a loved one. We will. Could be a father, a mother, could be a mate, could be a child. Uh, I've shared it before. When, when Laura had a miscarriage, I was so young, I had very little compassion. I didn't take the time, really. That's what it was. I, mean, I wasn't happy that we lost our baby in a sense that it died. And I believe this. Once life begins, 
Life doesn't ever end. And so I've apologized to her for that. And I got older for not understanding that. And one day we're going to see that baby. We're going to see that child in heaven. But why does he say that? Why does he want us to understand? Because one day that sorrow you had at the casket will be totally forgotten when you experience the reunion of the loved one in heaven. I, can't, I can only imagine in my mind, I can't really totally understand what it's going to be like to be able to hug my dad again in heaven. Because we had a talk when he was in his 60s about his relationship with Christ. He became a follower when he was 39, but he never really got involved in God's in the choices God wants. Going to church, reading the Bible, praying. Until after he was 62. He was so caught up in doing his job. And when he retired at 62, he started thinking about his mortality. And I can only imagine, but I can't totally comprehend what that's going to be. But I'm going to tell you, I remember... When my dad died, I cried. And I can still drive down the road and I cry. I'm, I cry with my mother, but you know I think about my dad more because I rebelled against my dad, not my mom. But Jesus tells us, I want you to understand, Mike, you're going to join with my people in heaven. And you're going to forget that parting you had on earth because for all eternity, you're going to celebrate the reunion and the togetherness. That's why he tells us God's people are going to be in heaven. You see, for where God is, the angels will be. And where God is, His people will be in eternity. Now look in that 7th chapter. Look at verse 16. He says, They will never again be hungry or thirsty. Okay, so if we take, translate that literally, heaven's just a big food court, Okay. Hunger and thirst, for them, they weren't wondering if they could get a new car. See? They weren't even wondering if they could get a new donkey. They were just trying to make enough money for food and drink for that day and if possible for the next. They got paid day by day. Not every week or every two weeks. Day by day. And he's trying to say, in heaven, listen, God will provide for His children, for His people. In their eternal home. He says, hungry or thirsty, they will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. Okay? Sun creates this conflict. Within the last month, somebody said, are we ever going to get rid of this hot weather before we had those 50 degree nights? Are we ever going to get rid of this hot weather? And I said, would you rather have the cold weather of winter? And they said, yes, I like cold better than hot. But, but you see, we're not going to have that discomfort in heaven. Never be scorched by the heat of the sun. Look what he says in 17. For the Lamb, that's Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. Shepherd takes care of their sheep, comforts their sheep, provides for their sheep. He will lead them to the springs of life-giving water. There it is. Always providing. Eternal life continues. Jesus will provide for us. And God, look what he says. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He promises us perfection. He promises us relief. Where? In heaven. I wished I could get it here. I wished I'd get it here. Most of the time I get it if I make the choices God wants me to make. But in heaven, it's going to be complete. Why? Because you see, 
The Lord Jesus Christ is our shepherd in heaven. So you fill in the next blank. The Lord Jesus Christ will be there. In heaven, I won't have to see Jesus by faith. I will see Jesus in person. Now think about that. Whenever somebody told me about Jesus when I was a teenager and I became a follower of Jesus, it was by faith. In heaven, it will be in person. Now I'm going to tell you, because in church, we call people to trust in Jesus by faith. And we hope they will. But in investigating the New Testament, I want you to understand, none of the original 12, well, Judas died, so of the original 11, and many of those early Christians, they didn't trust Jesus in Jesus and His resurrection by faith. Now hear me. See, usually I ask the question, did those early followers of Jesus trust in Jesus that He rose from the dead by faith? And normally I get, especially if you've been in a traditional church, yes. You read Paul's letters, read Peter. Peter says, we're not telling you myths when he's talking about Jesus died and rose from the grave. He says, we're telling you what we have seen with our own eyes. Paul says that. I saw the Lord. See, Matthew saw it. John saw the real Lord. You see, that's important for you to understand. Because you see, you never saw George Washington. But if you ever stood up and said, I don't believe George Washington ever existed, people say, what? How, how does anybody know George Washington ever existed? Here's what I get sometimes. I, I, I say, and George Washington's not a character of antiquity, Okay. Characters of antiquity is before the printing press, before writing was prolif- proliferated, well, forget that big word, was, was used, okay? Before we could copy books. So people handwritten, so, so writing of antiquity. But how do you know George Washington existed? Did you ever see him? Did you ever talk to him? And you're going to say no. And I do this with people that don't want to believe in Jesus. It's because if I could see Jesus, I'd believe in him. There were people who saw him. So I asked them, and they said no. And I said, well, then why do you say George Washington existed? This is what they said. My teacher taught me. My teacher said he existed. Well, how, how does your teacher know? Is your teacher really old? You know what they get to? They said, he, he used to say she. She read it in a book. And then she, they say, I read it in a book. I said, oh, you trust everything you read? Isn't that interesting? And yet when it comes to these people who really saw Jesus, because we don't have confidence in this book, the New Testament. We say, I don't know if I can believe in Him. Jesus Christ will be in heaven. You see, where God is, you want to know who's going to be in heaven for eternity? Where God is will be His angels. And where God will be, will be the people who are in relationship with Jesus. And where God is, will be the Son, Jesus Christ Himself. See, that's not anything 
phenomenally new. And I do believe we had that packed house because some people had told some people, he's going to talk about who's going to be in heaven. They, want, they thought, they, I was going to say, your cousin? Nope, your aunt's not going to make it. See? I can only share what the Bible says. Now, what will we do in heaven? Let's bring this down, okay? Now, there is a misunderstanding. There are people who indicate we're not going to do anything in heaven, so we're going to do nothing. Matter of fact, again, if you look at the cartoons, the cartoons usually have somebody in white wardrobe sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Nowhere in the Bible. And this is where I, I thought it would have been interesting to share with you what some of the world religions believe about heaven. Okay? But there's just not enough time. But there are people who believe would do nothing in heaven. Sit on a cloud and play a harp. Or maybe be in white robe and wave a palm leaf. Okay? No. Come on, you're telling me we're going to be consigned for eternity? Just to do that? Or just to play a harp? You're telling me that paradise is nothingness? See, that's what people say. But what are we told in the Bible? You're in the seventh chapter of Revelation. Go to verse chapter 14. Look at chapter 14. Look on the screen. 13th verse in chapter 14. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this down. Okay? In other words, Jesus is trying to say to John, I want you not to leave this out. This is what we're going to do in heaven. He says, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. In other words, you're going to die because you're going to go to heaven. Yes, says the Spirit, and they are blessed indeed. Look what he says they're going to do. For they will rest from their hard work for their good deeds follow them. In other words, he says, what you're going to do in heaven for the rest of eternity is you're going to rest. This has nothing to do with sleep. That's what we think about. Now, I'm going to say this. We do connect groups. Some of you make a choice not to go to connect groups. Okay? And usually it's because you say you're, it's that big butt that was in that video two weeks ago. Anybody remember what he said at the very end? He said the biggest butt of all. Anybody remember? That's right. Is we say, I'm just too busy. And so some people don't go to connect groups because they're too busy. But if you would have went to connect groups this week, the entire session talked about rest so we could understand it from other passages in the Bible. We're going to go to heaven, we're going to rest. It has nothing to do with sleeping. It has nothing to do with laying down, sitting down. We're going to rest. It has everything to do with God's kind of rest. And when we get that rest, He's going to remember the things we have done because their good deeds follow them. It means we will be delivered from the struggle in this life. You see, some of you get six hours sleep, that's all you need, or you get 14 hours sleep because that's what you were able to get. And you wake up and you're not rested. And all of you know what you want to do. You want to take a two-week vacation so you can rest. Now, you know what that is like, right? Let's get home a day or two early so I'll rest up to go to work. You see, rest is not idleness. Rest is being delivered from the struggles in life that wear us out. People have a baby. A man and wife uh, decide, let's conceive a child, and so they they have a baby. Because that's going to just make life 
so we can enjoy it. And then soon they find out they don't rest very well anymore. See? And believe me, the child grows up. I'll be glad when my child doesn't need me to put diapers on them. They can go to the bathroom themselves. I'll be glad when they can dress themselves. I'll be glad when they drive a car. Yeah, I'll be glad when they're dating. Boy, you really start losing rest. You see, it's not that kind of rest. For all eternity, listen, I'm not going to struggle with any temptation of worry, of anger, of trying to control things. For all eternity, I'm not, I'm, for all eternity, I'm not going to get into any of these silly discussions of who's right. For all eternity, I'm going to rest. God's rest. You see, I can be very uptight and I can get around some of you and I experience the grace and love of God through you. And man, I leave refreshed. I hope that's what worship is often here at Connection. That in what we do, now listen, worship when we come through the door. We allow God to get our life relating with other people, that He can, he can help us understand His rest. And, 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 and we enjoy music wherever we are, whether we're in preschool, kids rock, or here. And we talk about God. And, and we feel this grace and His love. And we leave being rested. See, I hope people who cook popcorn can understand. You can experience, if you understand God's rest, you can, you can experience rest when you cook popcorn. You can experience rest when you preach a sermon. See, because it, it's, it's God delivering us from the struggles that life gives to us. If I took time, took you to Genesis second chapter, we see Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're working. And there's no struggle. But we look at chapter 3, and sin is coming to their experience, and they're working in the garden. They're working in the world, not in the garden anymore. In the world... And life is full of struggles. And what a lot of us do is we go look for medicine to help us rest. When we get to heaven, we don't need any medicine. Because we're going to experience God's deliverance from all the conflict and struggles that life offers us. Look at the last blank on your message map. What will we do in heaven? In heaven, we will fulfill the responsibilities God gives to us. Okay? And He will. What we do here in this life will affect the next life. The Bible tells us things about that. The Bible indicates to us that we will be put in charge of the Lord's things. If we are responsible, He will give us more responsibility. We're going to have responsibility in heaven. I don't know what that is. Hope I get to be groundskeeper at Bush Stadium. I don't know what that's going to be. Uh, There's not going to be probably a Bush Stadium in heaven. The Bible tells us that we will be involved in giving judgment. This morning I I quoted the verse references, so if you want to know those, you can ask me afterwards. 
But Jesus said, we're going to be involved in judgment. I can't even, I can't even understand. What responsibility will I have in heaven if Jesus is prepared to? What, what kind of judgment will I, judging will I do in heaven? I don't understand that. Because you see, I only understand this world. And judging sounds like it's wrong. And yet, Scripture indicates in eternal life, I'm going to be involved in giving judgment. The Scripture says in heaven, I'm going to be involved in reigning and ruling. We already read that one place in Revelation. I don't understand that. What's it mean, reigning and ruling? That sounds like somebody's higher than somebody else in heaven. Because you see, we can't understand all that God has done. That's that kindness, that new place I talked about last week. But in heaven... We will serve Jesus Christ and God. The Bible teaches us that. We've already read that in some of these passages that I've talked about in Revelation. We will serve. What kind of service will we do? And see, people who don't, who don't know Jesus Christ thinks the only kind of service He's going to have us to do is the kind that is laborious and, and boring. And it's not. Matter of fact. Uh, you, you might say, am I going to clean bathrooms for all eternity? Am I going to fix popcorn for all eternity? Am I going to sweep floors for all eternity? That's what they ask us to do here at Connection. Well, I'll just say this. Jesus said in the eyes of God, the greatest person is the person who serves others. So when it says we're going to serve in heaven... I don't understand what that involves, but I do understand in the eyes of God, service that comes from the heart, not out of the head. Now listen, service comes out of heaven. You know, we ought to do our part. And if we didn't do it, nobody else would probably do it. And they won't think I'm a good Christian if I don't do it. And I feel guilty if I don't do it. That's all head. The heart says this. I will serve because I love. You see, I, I don't take the movies I like and the movies she likes because she's more important than my desires. That's heart love. This morning we had trouble with the sound and the technology person came up here. Josh came up here and set up a mic. And he went back and sat down. And probably within a minute, minute and a half, that mic's messing up. And I watched him. He threw up his arms and said, I'm sorry, you're all by yourself. No, he got another mic and he come back here and he set it up. All in front of you people. Oh, isn't that so embarrassing? You know why he does that? Because he loves me. See, when you find confidence in somebody, you love them, you serve them. If you just love yourself, it's all about serving you. In heaven, the Scriptures indicate for eternity, we're going to be involved in responsibility. We're going to be involved in service. And I can't explain all that to you because the Scriptures doesn't get real clear. Because I think... We have trouble identifying. We only identify here. And here service means I'm the guy that that gets taken advantage of. And believe me, if you serve Jesus, you will get taken advantage of sometime. Jesus was taken advantage of. But you're going to experience a lot of good times, even here. When we go to heaven, it's all about service. Not labor. It's all about doing. And it's going to be things that, that we find out We like that. We like that. It's going to be out working. 
I had a, had a couple who, who, who had to step out of helping with the children. And they notified us. After a few weeks, we're ready to come back with the children. See, that's heart. Because nobody approached them and made them feel, well, you're not a very good connection person if you don't serve. You see, in heaven, it's going to come from the heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes as a father and grandfather, I sit back and I just am resting when I see my family out of heart serving one another. When we go to heaven, I will be me. I will be I. The Bible says I don't lose my identity. One of those world religions says, no, when you die, you're like a drop of water. And when you die, it's like the drop of water falling into the ocean and it loses its identity. The Bible never teaches that. When you go to heaven, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will be you. I will be me. And we will be doing what God wants us to do. And it won't be labor. And it won't be toil. Well, I'm glad this week somebody else is doing what I have to do next week. No, it's not going to be any of that. It's going to come out of the heart. And it's going to be fulfilling. And it's going to rest us. And stop and think. They'll never come an end to Sunday and go back to work on Monday. It will be for every moment we are there. Can't even totally understand that. But God tells us that because He wants us to know the value. Now listen, the value of the relationship with Jesus Christ. So I will say this. I invite you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Because followers of Jesus Christ, their home will be for all eternity in heaven. Let's bow together and after my prayer we're done. Father, thank You. Thank You for keeping these words for us. Thank You for John, the Apostle, the man who wrote the book of Revelation. Thank You for His faithfulness. Thank You for in what He went through which was so bad and yet He made choices to do what You wanted Him to do so that now today, 2,000 years later, we're able to read things that Your Son Jesus revealed to Him. Help us, God. Help us every Sunday, every time we're together with Christian people. And we concentrate on God us to grow a little bit more and a little bit more. For God, we want you to transform our lives as we make the choices you want us to make. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.